Philosophy. Descartes. Debate. The Mepropod. 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 The awesomest discussion podcast in the history of the human species. Oh, yeah! Let me tell you of an interview with an old man emu. He's got a bacon feathers and things, but the poor old feather ain't got no wings. Aren't you jealous of the witch-tailed eagle? I'm better to da-da-da. Well, the eagle's flying round and round to keep my two feet firmly on the ground. Now, I can't fly, but I'm telling you, I can run the pants of a kangaroo. But da do 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 He can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can run the pants of a kangaroo. Alright, in that case, welcome to the MEP Report 132, December 5th, 2014. Aye. What is up, peoples of the internet? What's going on? Welcome to all. Uh, happy holidays, happy seasons, greetings, and Greg, all that stuff. Greg, aren't you jealous of the wedge-tailed emu or eagle? Um, I, I just wanted to ask. <laughs> oh, jealous of the wedge-tailed eagle? Yeah, I, and you know, it's funny, that song it just gets better every time you listen to it, honestly. It just right grows on you, doesn't it? It does. Like it really does. <laughs> we're all here, Story and Russ and, and myself. Greg, can we are all pretend here. that we're so. doing this live in person, like we were going to do, and then we? I know them. For, that's Wouldn't totally that be- true. For those of you who don't know what's going on about that, I thought this show was going to be recorded uh, live and in person um, right after Thanksgiving, and my friends uh, Russ and Story you know, did not disabuse me of this notion. They actually came to the house and uh, I picked them both up from the subway separately and it was great. And and I was like, oh yeah, you know, it's gonna be great. We're gonna do the recording. And then I went down to the kitchen and there were like eight other people there because Clea had thrown a surprise party for me. And um, so Russ and Story had been invited to it and somehow it managed to keep from telling me about this. So we had a blast. It was an awesome time. Played tons of games, played Wise and Otherwise, which is one of all of our favorites. Uh, it was it was awesome. I loved it. And um, I was very grateful. And we did not record a MEP report because we were having fun doing other things that were not MEP report related. So, yes, thank you guys for being a we part of We almost recorded one when we were absolutely exhausted we thought at about like uh, 3.30 <laughs> in the morning after playing games. And Greg was like simulating his old FIFA watching days and falling asleep on the couch and we were all really tired. It would have been it would have been really high energy. It would have been great. I was like, maybe we should do I thought it was not a good idea. Yeah, so um, But it would have woken up your daughter, so that might have been worth it. So (laughs) that's true. That's true. Um but yeah, so it was an awesome time and thank you guys for being a part of it. It was cool. And now everyone is back in their own home bases, as it were, and uh, so there you go. And I, I want to, uh, we'll, we'll get to a more serious topic later in the show, but I want to actually lead off with something, guys, because I just about an hour ago, I got out of um, this session that I'm going to describe, and uh, this, is, this goes under the category of things you never th- ever thought you would willingly do. Are you a robot now? God yes. damn it. I knew this I was am a robot. Happen. I thought Russ would jump first, but... Oh. Um, my new theme theme song is Styx's Mr. Roboto. So Domino okay. Nagato, Mr. Roboto. Did that you say me. Domino Agato? Oh, something like that. Domo Arigato. <laughs> That's what it is, right? Dom- Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto. This is 70 Schlock. No, it's Actually, about it's... Cat, cat Dominoes. It's What's Domino the Gato. <laughs> <laughs> Dominate, I got though. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so this thing happened and uh, I wanted to say, I just wanted to throw it out there for your guys' perusal and explain to me what has happened in my life. And that is, um, I was sitting on a table 
uh, lying on a table for uh, about an hour, having needles poked into me willingly um, because I now do acupuncture. And it it occurred, and I've been doing this for about a year, and it occurred to me how ridiculous it was that I was, either it was ridiculous that I was doing it or ridiculous that I hadn't done it before because this is like, I don't, yeah, or both. I don't like needles. Somewhat contradictory. Yeah. But I, I don't like needles and all that. And I just, it was amazing to me that I'm like, I willingly go in and I pay a decent amount of money per session for a uh, specialist, a Russian uh, acupuncture specialist to, you know, willingly put needles into my arms and forehead and, you know, <laughs> elbows and legs and feet and all this stuff and release all these energy channels. And I was like, and I'm doing this of my own free will over and over again. And apparent, and then and then she leaves the room and she's like, now rest, you know. And she plays, you know, some some like Zen music with waves, like you know, ocean wave sounds and all. And, and it's like I'm willingly going along with this. And I just, if you had told me that I would be doing this a couple years ago, I would have laughed at you over and over again, repeatedly, and then would have followed you laughing some more because no way. And yet I do this. And, and I, I don't know. Does this mean I've given up on my on my morals? Does this just mean that I've become a pathetic well, shell of myself? I mean, or have, have I finally a, awakened? Uh, <laughs> do you have a verdict in terms of like how you feel pre and post acupuncture? So the thing about acupuncture, and this is the thing that's always dangerous, right? Is that because it is a more gradual thing, it isn't like you go in and then you leave and you're like, now you can levitate above the ground, right? It's you know, I certainly feel relaxed when I leave, but I think if I were lying anywhere on a you know table with Zen ocean sounds and you know it was relatively warm in the room and everything, I would probably also feel relaxed, right? So I feel relaxed anyway. I mean, in the aggregate, certainly, you know, the situation that I started doing it for, which was a heart thing about a year ago, that is certainly stabilized. But I've also been doing a lot of other stuff for that. I mean, I've been trying to get better sleep and I've been, you know, taking some do supplements. Do you feel and, relaxed coming so. out of an acupuncture session? I do. I do. But what I'm saying is I would have felt, re- I feel like I would have felt relaxed if I just took a nap too. You know what I mean? Like I, it's, it's not a one-to-one thing and that makes it difficult. Like if, if I go to a massage, right, I come out of the massage, clearly I'm like, okay, my muscles feel stretched out and I feel right. That sort of thing. If I go to this, it's not like that. I have to look at it over a, you know, month, two month, three month, six month span and go, yeah, this seems to have been doing a lot of good, but it's not a one to one thing, which is why, of course, conventional medicine laughs and says it's ridiculous because there's no evidence to support it. And I'm like, uh, so I don't know. Like it, it, it's just, it just struck me as strange. Like, I think it's a good thing. It feels like it is, I think, but I mean, it's not anything that's obviously, ah, I started taking this and all of a sudden I felt 9,000 times better, you know? Here's the thing. Um, you would think, if you were to stereotype my potential response to this as the anti-Western medicine guy who's into alternative therapies, that I would be like 100% behind acupuncture and be like bringing up articles on HiveHealth.net right now about its benefits for various things. But you're about to tell me you're not going to do that. I don't really have – like I've never had acupuncture. I don't – I can't even conceive of a situation where I would have acupuncture. See? That was me. But and then there was a point where it just sort of made sense. I don't know. I've got, I mean, I mean, if I were sitting on a table and I was just generally stressed out and had some generally stress-related symptoms in my life and somebody just like punched me in the <laughs> side for like a 45-minute session, 
And I knew it was going to happen, so I'd be all freaked out beforehand, and then they punched me in the side, and then I came out of it, and I knew it was over, and I would breathe a sigh of relief. I would feel super relaxed after that was over, well, whether it had any, like, medicinal <laughs> benefit or not. Yes, but I don't actually feel like, you know, she's not punching me in the side. It's not like I feel relaxed oh, sure? once I'm done. Yeah, who knows, <laughs> How right? How conscious are you during this procedure? Well, I have had a number of cuts and scrapes, so I don't right, really know. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's one of those things. I mean, they're very, the needles themselves are extremely thin, and it's um, and she does it in these very superficial areas of the skin. Apparently, there's like a deep tissue acupuncture, which Clea does, which apparently hurts like hell. And I'm like, I yeah, think, no. I think the least but, comforting thing I've ever heard anyone say in my life is the needles themselves are extremely thin. As far as comforting <laughs> statements go, like that. <laughs> Well, listen, hey, man, I mean, if you like when you're talking millimeters, all of a sudden when you start getting down to what actual diameter a needle is, it does it does make a difference. It's funny, though, because it you know, on the one hand, it generally doesn't hurt. But there are a couple of places like, you know, there's spots, for example, in the side in like the earlobe. And that, that's not in the earlobe com- in the earlobe. Yeah, I it's, are you sure this person's certified? Yes. That sounds like doing it wrong. It's super... Like, is this it's super, actually just an ear piercing? It's, I was going to say, it's actually... Well, it, the sign says ear piercing pagoda at the mall, but I thought it was right. fine. No, um, but it's actually... I should say it's it's to the... It's to... It's like in the ear... Uh, um, not the... Um, it's next to the earlobe. It's in the... It's like in the ear itself, but like uh, next to it. You're putting needles... Not into the ear drum. I'm saying like the outside of the ear, but the point is like next to the earlobe, if that makes any sense. So... And and that's that's only once in a while because she's doing different points, right? So she does, uh, so she's doing like heart chakras and she's doing, um, you know, chakras for the liver and like spleen support. The spleen that is a that is a that's that's a problem. I'll just tell you that right now. Whenever I have a point that hurts, it's always related with the spleen. So apparently, my spleen and I don't get along, or my spleen is like you, you don't screw need a off. Spleen. You're putting Maybe a needle in me. She's trying to kill your spleen. It's just like, we do not need spleens in no, Russia. Why spleen, do you need spleen is one of those things that you do need. They can't no, just take your no. spleen. <laughs> why why spleen? No, spleen isn't expendable, isn't it? No, gallbladder no, is gallbladder expendable. Is expendable. Gallbladder is, spleen is, no, I'm looking this up. Come appendix on. Appendix is expendable. Appendix, appendix is also, spleen is like, it's hard to get by, but you can do it. <laughs> I don't and think you really well, need your stomach, right? Need... Like the stomach is overrated, right? I mean, you could probably live as a head in a jar of formaldehyde, but it's not <laughs> okay. optimal. I thought that was no, your plan, no, Russ. No, no, no. <laughs> it is possible to remove the spleen, second paragraph, first sentence of Wikipedia. It is possible to remove the spleen spleen without jeopardizing life wow Boom. <clears throat> all right been spleened. spleen that advocacy. is called man spleening right there <laughs> right underneath that is actually a thing which actually refers to spleen as a lawn sign it's like the little known norwegian term for so, uh, unlike the last time russ tried to science us about what organs could or cannot be removed and reground <laughs> <hopefully>. <laughs> I it's just like, like a starfish. Like well, no, if you're a baby, you can remove the heart and it'll just grow right back, according to yeah, Russ. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I guess I guess the point I'm making is just, like, it's it's one of those things where over time, and I get, you know, when you get a wake-up call of the nature that I did, you will try many different things. And this is obviously, I just felt like I needed something that involved more thinking outside the box. Like, it wasn't just going to be about conventional medicine because I'm not, you know, it's, I'm not... Although I may not be quite down the side of either of you guys on it, I'm not 100% bored with conventional medicine either. And so I felt like there was some kind of middle ground that I could take. And this this seems to have been it. But it struck me as I was sitting there, I'm like, you know, acupuncture is super mainstream now. It's even covered by a lot of insurances. And I don't even know what to make of that. I'm like, a therapy where they repeatedly stick needles in you 
and then leave you on a table looking like Pinhead from the movie, that that is accepted as a mainstream insurance-backed thing. And do you want to like, know another fun what? fact, Greg, if you want to really freak out? I don't know if I do. I really <laughs> you do don't I? need a heart. No, it's not that <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> awesome. Science does not. Medical science has no idea why anesthetics work. What? <laughs> they really? just know that they do. So you keep talking about this like, oh, well, we you know, we don't have the backing or we don't have like the full science. Like it is consistently tested that certain amounts of certain anesthetics for almost everyone will put them under without killing them and without like debilitating them and they won't feel anything or any pain. Science has no idea why. Just, just <laughs> really? Is this yeah, true? This is really true. This is really I'm true. I have to ask you for a source on this one. Uh, Wikipedia, right? I mean, I, this is something I've heard from multiple people <laughs> and multiple sources. Any My anesthesiologists? They were all that, I was going to say they were all <laughs> anesthesiologists. Who, by the way, every anesthesiologist, I don't, you guys may not have as much experience. I've had a couple of anesthesiologists that I've known. They all seem very much like, yeah, it's fine, man. It'll be okay. It's like oh. really almost funny. That no, that's anecdotally, the anesthesiologists are the biggest druggies of any type of doctor, like by far. But they, they also get tend so to be high on everything. It's true, but but my understanding is I was I was actually doing this um because I, I was googling a lot of things in the moments that I discussed last year. Anesthesiologists also have among the fewest uh, overall complaints um, that people make about them, like complications. And I don't know if that's because they're asleep, so they don't know if they're being competent yeah, or not, or what. Yeah, but it's I like, think it's that. But it's but you would think <laughs> that I mean. The, the anesthesiologist in the case that I'm talking about was like, okay, he's like, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do this. Uh, you know, you're going to you're going to feel a little bit of cold in your arm at this spot. Then you are going to be asleep in about 15 seconds. You will be awake in about five minutes. You'll come out of it gradually, and it will feel totally normal. And that is exactly what happened to the T. He was gone by the time I had woken up, and it was exactly as he said. There was like nothing that was different. I was like, wow. Do you know what other professions have a unusually low rate of complaint against them? Like undertakers, liquor store clerks. And <laughs> well, but no, but, but see, but see, liquor store clerks, all those things, you're awake while you're getting those things. You know what I mean? Like you, you can yeah. feel the results. Like for an anesthesiologist, you're like, yeah, I slept. That was awesome. Like, okay, Wikipedia, the bio. What the, is with the Wikipedia obsession? The, all of a sudden, it's we hate Wikipedia you, on the show. I don't know what to tell you. It uh, is. It is. If we all gave three dollars, the fundraiser would be over in an hour. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> true, <yeah>. That was <laughs> apropos of nothing, of course. Okay, go to Wikipedia now. Um, so. <laughs> It says the biochemical mechanism of action of general anesthetics is not yet well understood. Wow. They don't know why it works. They don't know why. I okay. So we, I, I mean I guess know, it's a good they're sign. They're like it kind of affects the nervous system. We don't know why it works. It just does. It's just something we've consistently observed and we don't understand. Awesome. I mean, can that be said for a whole array of different medicines, though. It's like we've observed Probably. the effect that it has, but the biochemical mechanism exists on a level that's, like, obscured that to us. That is beyond our theory for understanding why it should work? I don't think... I mean, probably, yeah. Like, I would probably say, yeah, which was kind of my point, was, like, that lots of general medicine also doesn't understand, like, why it works. But I don't think that's a trivial thing. Like, I don't think it's trivial to say, like, you know, that we don't understand why this works... When you're ah. going under and you like don't lose, you know, you lose consciousness. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think that's like significant. I'm reading on this uh, live science article about it that it says, despite the necessity of modern medicine, scientists aren't sure exactly how anesthetics work. The best theories suggest that they dissolve some of the fat present in brain cells, changing the cell's activity. 
that's See, that troubling. Seems, right, right. Doesn't that sound like slightly distressing? It's it like, no, 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 no. It's just killing off the brain. It's cool. Yeah, and then they're like, for now, no one knows why. The precise mechanism remain unknown. For now, next time you find yourself under the knife, just be happy they do. I'm like, well, yeah. I won't find myself anything because I'll be unconscious. But No, it's you know. fine. We just kill off parts of the brain to induce a reset in the brain because it's has catastrophic damage done to it and then you you sleep yeah maybe it's funny because local under general anesthetic our soul dies like i don't know <laughs> yeah, yeah, really distressing. we dissolve your soul yeah <laughs> um local anesthetic they know very well about it blocks literally blocks neurotransmitter uh you know nerves to the brain so that's local anesthetic they understand a lot better oh yeah of course yeah no novocaine is like pretty clear like yeah things that are not any like local like, yeah nerves nerves are pretty clear sure did i tell you guys when i went in to get i had this um this is in the category of too much information but what the hell it's medical day for greg on the med report so um i had a uh, cyst removed from my back a couple of months ago and for those of you who don't know a cyst is basically a benign thing it's uh sometimes it's a hair follicle or something that basically for whatever reason gets irritated and it ends up retaining um fat and becomes very painful um and it's sort of like a large pimple, I guess is the way I would describe it. And you have to be careful because it can get easily infected or whatever else. So you don't, you know, it's a dermatologist takes it out. So they were like, okay, this is this cyst. And most people have these things if they get one and it, it's fine, their whole lives doesn't do anything. I just happened to have mine got irritated, I think, because I, I bumped into something and it irritated it, whatever. Anyway, so they took it out. And the way they did it was the guy, and it was amazing to me, it was a plastic surgeon. And he's just like, he's like, all right, so I'm going to, it's the same kind of thing. I'm going to do this, you'll feel this, then this will happen, and then this will be the case. And it was exactly that way. And and he was done in like 10 minutes and he was like this looks great and i was like wow and he's carving into your back to get this out like let's not joke around like i mean it's you know but he's doing it using this local anesthetic and so when he put the local anesthetic in he's like all right so this is gonna you know this this will be a little this will hurt a little bit this will be and it did but it wasn't terrible but he's like now he's like have you had any uh you know do you have any heart situations and i was like well <laughs> now that you mention it yes uh you know i had this potential for like heart palpitations because of this and, and he's like oh he's like all right well he's like what i'm what we're going to give you is he's like there is a there's a steroid associated with this part and he's like the reason is because this cuts down significantly on bleeding which needs to happen because otherwise you know blood in general is not the thing that you want pouring out of your back and he's like he's like so you know this is what's going to happen so your your system may feel a temporary increase in heart rate um for about and so he could see my eyes were all clearly already widening obviously you're like it's already on yeah and he was like and he was like for 10 seconds and i was like 10 (laughs) seconds he's like i guarantee it and he actually was like longest 10 seconds of your life yeah he was like it's 10 seconds he's like if it's less if it's more than 10 seconds he's like i you he he didn't he i don't think he made the joke you can sue me But he said if it's more than like, ten seconds, you would totally like punch me in the face. It's yeah, cool. so he said something like that. It was like it was it was kind of funny, and so um so I did so he so he put it in and actually I didn't feel anything and he was like okay so and it was one of those deals where he's like all right so I'm cutting now I'm like wait you're what he's like yeah I've been doing it for the last thirty seconds I was like what he's like yeah because you know you're it would have taken effect within the first fifteen seconds and everything I was like that's true and it was one of those things where I wanted to be nice. vaguely upset except that I really couldn't be because everything he had said was accurate but I was like. I should have been given knowledge. Well, I okay, just proceed then. You know, they do do what you're doing. Um, but yeah, so they so they say that they on the local level they understand everything about how these things work like exceptionally well. It's just that you know, I guess on the general side they don't know. I never heard that that they had no idea though. I, I, I think like we need to pursue this. move though, where he's like, "You will feel extreme pain in ten seconds. Good, now it's over." You're like, "Wait, what?" Hey. 
Really? Yeah, exactly. And well, he didn't say extreme, but yeah, he was exactly. He's like, right. you will feel this, and then it was like, I was like, did I feel it? He's like, well, you would have already, but you know, not now. Yeah. It was really funny. I was like, okay, well, that's impressive. I, <laughs> I, I am impressed. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I just, I guess it's one of those things where like, it just as as we get older, we do things we would not expect that we would do, and I'm not like complaining about it because it seems like it's been a good thing for me. But just, it just struck me how weird it is that I'm like, sure, I'll just lie on a table while you know you poke needles in me that's great and i'll and i'll pay you money to do it like of course i will you know what makes me feel better is the fact that after we conclude today i'm going to drive over to malibu and go into somebody's house and look at a bunch of tribal masks that they have for sale nice because that's what i do in my old age to make myself feel better i thought you were going to say then you're going to go over to malibu and have someone poke needles in you i'm like that's a yeah i thought so too i was like and this is how russ was convinced to do acupuncture (laughs) Nope. Except he didn't hear it. He was like, he just heard something about needles. So all of a sudden he becomes a drug addict and it just doesn't work out well. No, not those needles. So you're going over to to, uh, get shamanic masks. Now, have you seen the merchandise ahead of time? Do you have Um, your... No. The thing is, they had one or two pictures of things I wasn't particularly interested in on Craigslist, but there's a promise of this huge cache of other things. And I have been suckered in to go look at all this stuff that I don't know. Do you have guards with you? Because this is a setup for an ambush. (laughs) Very obviously. They're going to ambush me for my expertise in tribal masks. That's right. <laughs> Extract it over the course of weeks. Listen, man, in the, the in the 1930s and 40s, the mob, you know, operated by getting accountants that they threatened. You're going to be the same thing, except you'll be a shamanic mask expert. So I just think it's dangerous. I think you should bring someone with you just in case. Is this oh, like some so- big antique buy or something? Or like someone raided the British Museum? Like what's going on? How yep, exactly. it's just another house full funded of people by FARC? who no. have weird antiques that they neither care about nor value and wish to dispense of them on non-antique savvy Craigslist oh, to, fair no, but to nobody. So I'm literally the only person that will ever contact them about this. And they're very excited that somebody's like... <laughs> that someone cared about their masks. Things? Do you yeah. think they, I mean, did they give you a description? Do you have a like a sense of what no. it's going to be? I know? saw one which looked like a monkey's head with the grass hair hanging down from it. And I'm like, I don't want that, but that's cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you have a section for masks that you don't want but are cool, like in your house? Do I? Yeah. Um. Well, okay. No, just so I have story. my living room where all my that. favorites are kind of. Uh, evenly spaced around the room and then once you cross the threshold from the living room into the kitchen if you turn around there's a wall that is literally just and I've showed you guys pictures of this that are just packed with masks but those are all yeah they're like secondarily favorite masks otherwise they would already be in the living room Mm -hmm. Um, but because this has become the mask wall like all new masks are added to this wall to create the maximum concentration and density of masks and so that's, this is just <laughs> Hello, where they gentlemen. go now this, so so masks right so so you have this so okay but over time like how much room do you have are you gonna have to like rotate your mask display well yeah that's the thing is i'm trying to determine because like now you know i have a girlfriend living with me now like there's definitely a question of like the masks cannot start encroaching down the hallway towards the bedroom like that can never happen so i'm <laughs> Like, it's very important that they're concentrated to one area. I know. And that the contagion does not spread. So to do that, I have to make very clear lines as to where masks will not cross. And if that's the case, I may only have room for, like, a handful more. That's So what – yeah, what happens, though, at that point? Because – 
Really? I don't know. I'm not going to stop being interested in masks. You need to become an archaeologist in the Indiana Jones style. You can, you know, go around the world and then, like, put it in, like, naval, you know, storage places. Mm-hmm. I think that works. Oh, you, you know what this reminds me of? you put it in his uh... belly button? Yes, he can pull it in his belly button. No, naval. Naval storage. Not that naval. He can put yeah, it in a naval a, orange. He can put it in an orange. Super innie, one of those innies that yeah. just go on forever. <laughs> oh, God. The black hole of belly buttons. Do you guys remember this story that I used to be very fond of telling about while I was a, briefly a student at BU Law and these guys in a van drove up and I bought speakers off of them and brought them back? Uh, yes. I remember it very well. We've talked about it several so times. So well. Actually. And they've been in storage uh, in Long Island ever since uh, we left Mep House. And every year when I go back to New York, I'm like, this is the year I figure out a way to get these things on a plane because there's no cost-effective way to ship them cross-country and still have them be valuable. Um, and so I finally was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to rent a car. I'm going to put them in my trunk. I'm going to take them to the airport. I get two free check bags. I'm going to check them. That'll be it. So I go to my dad's house. I go upstairs to where a lot of my storage stuff is. I find the speakers. They're there in the box. I open them up, and I'm like, I've never actually – Google this brand to see. Did you ever like, listen to them? How cool! Oh, we listened to them a bunch. We, I thought we did. We got right? a noise complaint for yeah, how much so. we listened to them. Oh well, they complain. I mean, those people, whatever. Yeah, and, I, I thought we had though. I mean, the memory that I had was uh, me turning on like Pink Floyd and us being like, "Oh my God, I've never heard Roger Waters before in this way." Like, <laughs> like I hello, this, is there anybody? Yeah, <laughs> as this epic moment. But then I'm upstairs in Long Island. In Levittown, Googling these speakers that have been like the Excalibur of things that I've left in New York my <laughs> entire life and just like waiting to return to their rightful place. And it's a, whole, it's a scam. The whole thing is a scam. The shitty, the shitty speakers. My whole life is a lie, you guys. For a really? Decade, they are? For a decade. You wait, should return wait, wait. them. Russ, you should return up. them. Back up. <laughs> Someone sold you something <laughs> off of the back I know. of a shady truck very shady in the middle of the night no. that was not of optimal quality no you yeah. don't understand are you certain not even a are warranty are you sure you don't that understand. doesn't sound right even philosophically this ruins everything that i'm excited about in the world cuz i love the idea that I like had to have that consideration of whether these men in the van were going to kidnap me with this story about speakers, and that I braved through that. Kidnap the golden goose that's paying you top dollar. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why would you take that freedom away? Yep. That freedom yep. is getting you paid. Oh, man. God, yep, it's true. <laughs> I. I love the idea of like the one time I took a chance on something like this and interacted with the black market like it was great and it worked out and everybody was happy. But no. No. I I mean granted I they, they wanted saw like you, how much you gra- wanted that story about yourself to be true. Look, yep. and they took advantage of that. Look, I grant you that they wanted $900 for them and I gave them like 300 and so I was like double victory. Right. Um but really they were only worth about $150 and like <laughs> You cannot resell them for anything, like ever. Nobody wants these things. They're based. Somebody opened them up on the internet, where there are a vast number of pages talking about these Denmark 830LR speakers, which are all googled as like the sell sold out of a white van speakers. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they're like, these are the speakers are. that you buy out of a white van in this famous scam of the van speakers. Of course they are. This is and, like all scalping, though. Like, I was listening to this uh, this report on scalpers, and they were interviewing people. And basically, like, the first ask that they do of most people, like, if someone walks up to them and they don't look, like, totally savvy or on the ball or, like, they're in the business, is basically they ask for, like, ten times what they want. Because they're like, well, it's a negotiation. You're just, like open with an ungodly ridiculous number and then they'll feel good about themselves even if they get down to like triple what you actually want so mm-hmm. once in a blue moon somebody will just buy it for that much right because some, somebody will be like great that's awesome like i have 1.4 million map coin in my pocket so like that's that's amazing that's, i yeah. got one map coin in my pocket that's true yeah. um what yeah. you need to be able to do, though, is to be able to respond to the shady sale with your own shady method of buying. So that's where I think the MepCoin thing comes in. Had we had that at the time, you could have been like, absolutely, I'll buy your crappy Denmark speakers for one million MepCoin and just see whether you can kind of like counter their attempts to screw you over with your own shady, you know, system. Which maybe I shouldn't be talking about devaluing the currency we now have. But I'm just saying, like, I was you know, say. yeah, <laughs> MepCoin is totally it's backed by the full faith and credit of us. But I'm saying, like, I think that we should we should I think you should think about ways to sort of counteract their shadiness with your own shadiness. You know, I don't the only way to do that is to go back in time. And to well, no, I mean, obviously, the, the, cat, the horse is out of the barn on this one. I'm talking about for the future, you know, the next time this happens, because you'll want to do it again. Well, the next time this happens, learn. it'll be 2014 plus, and I'll have a smartphone, and I'll be like, sure, let me just appraise this thing you want to sell me with my smartphone. Oh, and no, of course, bro, the light's going to change. The light's going to change. Yeah, you got to do it now. There's room for scams of things that I can't recognize immediately, and, you know, I, and I encounter that in the mask and artifact world all the time. <laughs> the mask, mask and, artifact and artifact world, world. <laughs> which is its own wow, world that was in stereo greg and i were like the wall <laughs> well because it's just like it the internet is like i've told you guys this right about you guys have played dark tower with me i love this game um and it's this it, this game that has this like uh tower that's run by batteries and it's this big mechanical sort of monstrosity which i originally had that was bought for me as a christmas present in 1981 and when it broke down in like 2003, I think, or 2004 is when it broke down, I was like, well, that's the end of that. But there is a whole community of people, and in fact, even a couple of companies, whose job it is to repair broken down dark towers, which all last about 20 years before the mechanism breaks down. So I actually sent it to them, and they repaired it and fixed it and sent it back to me. So I, I just communities for everything exist. Everything in the world, there's a community for it. There is somewhere in the world, there is a community for people who love looking at uh, rainbow painted paper hearts like my daughter gave me that I'm looking at on my desk. Like, there's a community of people who love rainbow painted paper hearts. Like, there's communities for everything. So, I think there's obviously a community for this too. So, to finish out the uh, circle of irony of the worthless speaker story... um, So, I'm sitting there in in the, the dusty attic of my dad's house being like, well... There's a thing that you had like ascribed to your personal net worth for your whole life that was never actually part of it. Like, I wonder, I wonder what else. Like, what else do I think? What else and is I'm, hollow and shallow? And just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. My life. What else have I lied to myself what about? What else do I think fondly of that's really made of uh, so much disposable wax paper? Um, so, 
I have well, of course, there's the baseball card collection, which is probably worthless just because I grew up in the steroid era, and so most of the players associated with cards I was collecting are frauds and you know bulking themselves up with drugs, and hence made for worthless baseball cards. I thought you were making the point that you yourself were not considered a viable collector because you yourself grew up in the steroid era. They're like, you can't trust his collection. You yeah, know what Guberman steroids he's been was on. Totally Guberman was roiding for when he got the Honus Wagner cards. He was totally roided the whole time. But the uh, the bright side of this story was I have a tiny, tiny little coin collection. Um, and it's basically just a bunch of like <laughs> It's just this big pause that I was like, You're yes, like, you do. Yes, yes, you do. Tiny, 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 tiny little tiny coins. coins. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry. You can barely Bit, see Bits them. of they're coins, really. Small. Yeah, sorry. Um, mostly they're like uh, half dollars that were made before 1964, which means they're 90% silver. So, you know, a lot of people collect those and they're basically just worth the value of the silver, which is whatever, like seven, eight bucks a piece or something like that. Um, but I always had this one coin that was given to me by my grandfather, which was like way, way out of the league of all the other coins, even not knowing anything about coins. I just was like, this thing is a silver dollar from 1886. I'm like, that's cool. And so I just always had this one cool coin that was from 1886. And so I took, I knew where it was. It was in that same attic and it was in this little like old cookie tin that I kept all my coins in. (laughs) Because that was safe. (laughs) <laughs> and it's been there since I was, you know, in high school and it's part of my storage. Um and so then I took it out and I looked it up and it's like this super rare uh Morgan silver dollar um from and the reason that it's rare is it's from this one mint in New Orleans, speaking of where stories from. New Orleans where they there was just something where they only released a certain amount of the release into the world and the rest were just trashed because it wasn't a good mint. All the coins were struck poorly and so they killed a bunch of them and so it made this particular draft from this particular year like very, very rare. And so if you get if you have one of these deals in like really, really super high quality condition, basically in, in uncirculated condition, they're worth like thousands of dollars. Okay. Now, I don't think mine is. I think mine is like in really good condition, but not uncirculated condition. But I mean, still... it hasn't been circulated for a long time. No, it's I mean... been in the cookie tin. So Yeah. So yeah. if you just referred to it as pre-circulated, maybe that would, you know, it's branding, really, if you, have, you can get to that. Can you, can you shrink wrap it? And everyone's like, that's amazing, until someone realizes that they would not have shrink wrapped something in 1886. <laughs> just see if you could get some of it. Like, Look, it's mint condition. It's never been taken out of the original shrink wrap. Yeah. Now, I mean, if it was literally pristine, like if it looked like a brand new quarter that had just been minted, it would be worth like $100,000 because right. there are, you know, maybe three of those in the world. Right. Right. But no, you know, it's from 1886. So it has some it got its use on it. Yeah. But it's still, I mean, do you have any idea? Like, it's still got to be worth No, some... I think I'm going to get it appraised. I mean, I don't, I'm no good at uh, condition grading for coins because it's not an interest of mine. I have no idea. Um, so it's like almost impossible for me to say. All I know is like, it looks pretty good to me. Looks good. <laughs> you should just be like, if the, if the appraisal comes in low, you're like, all right, fine. But I have these $900 speakers that I'll totally <laughs> give you for 450 Yep, exactly. Right, I'll freeze them. Make it like a joint deal. I'll be like, all right, SLR. I'll give you these two crappy speakers plus this 1886 silver coin for your... PS4. I don't know. The, the important thing is I learned immediately upon researching this that like you do not 
ever try to clean coins to make them look nicer if they're oh, collectibles. God. Like, don't yeah. ever, ever do that. Why ever. is that? Um, most of the techniques will scratch them up and make them, like, instantly worthless. Oh, really? Yeah. So there's no, don't ever, don't do that. I mean, if you're just cleaning it because you have a silver coin and you want it to look nice, like, feel free to clean it. But if it's one of these coins that are collected not because it's silver but because of the rarity of it, then you you ruined it immediately. Oh, wow, really? So. Interesting. I was like, I'll just shine it up and then sell it. And I'm like, no. Oh, God. (laughs) And that's how the genie never escaped the coin. (laughs) Yep. No one ever (laughs) wanted to move it. Yeah. It's funny, those you, you do get those things that you sort of feel like you're just looking at something with incredible age on it, and you're kind of like, wow, I should be very... Very careful. Like I have this, um, uh, this is uh, this old, old game that was given to me by my grandmother that she had played when she was a kid. So I think the game was actually published in 1920 something, and it's called a uh, button, button. Who's got the button? And it's these tiles, and basically it's kind of this memory style game that you have to like just figure out who, like you pass the tiles around and then you reveal them and then you like shuffle them in a certain way. And it's sort of like, you know, it's like a typical uh, memory type thing. But um, it's one of those things that's in this like, like you know, kind of beaten up old maroon box um, where the printing is faded. And it has all of these, and I don't know why this is the case, but it always feels like these old companies are all like, you know, um, Smith and Eng- uh, Smith and Humperdinck. 25, you know, and Sons Limited, you know, like these names that never sound like modern names, like Smith and Humperdinck, or like these names are always like, ah, yes, this is clearly from yeah, the time. Yeah, it's the pre-branding era. You, your name <laughs> doesn't you have to sound sleek. It's just like, well, Smith, what should we call ourselves? Well, I don't know, Hingelbert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, and I'm like, and it's a game that you use, but every time I pull it out, I'm like, yeah, let's, oh, I should, well, let's just look at it then and admire it from a distance, you know? <laughs> Um, not that it, and it is not in pristine you know, condition because it was a game, you know, it wasn't like somebody, and that's the problem, right? Is that if you produce something, you're not like, this will be worth a fortune 100 years from now. Like you're using it, right? Like that's why it's, it's so true difficult of everything to find in the world in except condition. Beanie Babies, which like true, were also true. designed for use and to be like, you know, cuddled and hugged and 98% of them were like, don't take them out of the plastic. Oh, They're going God, to be right? worth millions. And since everyone did that, they never will be. I had this discussion with my mother-in-law about this. She was talking about how she had these dolls she played with when she was a kid and her uh-huh. mother got really upset because her because she had messed up this really nice doll. And I was like, how old were you when this happened? She's like, oh, you know, I was five or six. I'm like, <laughs> she gave you a doll and she was mad because you played with it. And she was like, well, but these are really special dolls. I'm like, so an adult would like to give you a doll which you can't play with. Would it be better to put it in a glass box on the shelf and be like, here's this wonderful gift. Look how warm it is. They are peeking at you 10 feet above your head from glass. Like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> you're going to give a kid a doll. Give the kid the doll. No, but these are special dolls. Like, oh, well, okay. why give your kid a doll when you can give them a lifetime psychiatric complex? <laughs> there you go. Exactly. That happened by default anyway, right? All Whoa, right. dear God. All right. Jesus, God. <laughs> <laughs> Laser Falcon Masaur, yeah. Everybody calm down. Story, do you have anything that, like, besides your soda can collection, which you've discussed in the Metport before? Yes. Do you have any, uh, do you have anything which is sort of, like, the coolest, oldest thing you have, like the ancient heirloom from family lore type thing? Gosh, um, the only thing that it even, like, rings a bell with this is I actually have a, a large collection that my dad had and his family had collected for a while of, like, pre- I want to say 1964 or maybe 54. No, 64 um, quarters that are actually made out of silver. 
Okay. So there's like a high silver content, but like I looked online the other day, the average one of them is worth like three dollars. So like, they're oh. not actually like <laughs> they're not actually like super significant. Although you know, before silver went up a lot, they were probably worth like twenty seven point eight cents. So yeah. Um, but no, like there's not a really ancient. You know, I mean, I have the baseball cards, and I uh, I have a. St- stamp collection i think my parents still have it for me somewhere i used to have a big stamp collection um but no i don't really have like the you know the ancient mask of my people or anything like that so <laughs> I, would, I would love that though right at least not on one that you'd be able to talk with us about because that's what gives you your superhero powers yes well i mean now there is like a very avaricious and ruthless shamanic mask dealer in our midst so i can't just go what? talking Who? about oh. where the it's you greg it's you god damn it um you know where we're hiding the shamanic masks of old where are the artifacts of your people right exactly <laughs> give me the mask <laughs> i must know <laughs> Yeah. Have have you ever felt, has there ever been anyone, Russ, who sold you one of these masks who clearly was doing it because they needed to make money, but it was like they were giving away their family's honor and respect by doing it? Like, you know, and I have yeah, actually a all corollary of, all of them, all of them were like that. <laughs> like, okay. Really? Every single one. What? No, I mean, you t- I told you the first masks I ever bought were from this guy whose dad had been a NASA engineer and he traveled the whole world and had collected these things over his travels and the guy had just inherited a house down in Redondo Beach so he didn't care for this crazy collector's stuff he just wanted his house clear so he could buy a bigger flat screen TV now that he'd inherited this Redondo Beach house and so he just laid out all the stuff on a like, living room rug and is like here's a bunch of crap take as much of it as you possibly can and I will reduce the price the more you take and I'm like, oh my god, is this a look at this weapon? Oh my god, look at this! I can I just I'll just take this all, okay? And he's like, yeah, great. I'm like, great. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was but that's like the opposite of what Greg is talking about, right? Like the person who felt that way was okay. No longer among the also, living, right? He was also sad. <laughs> then when I started loading it into a box and like putting it in my oh, car, okay. he started remembering his dad and how these weapons oh. hung above the mantel place in the fire. And I'm like, "All right, but you're still selling them to me, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." <laughs> like, great, good. Let's keep doing that. Um, and so, to a lesser extent, all the other ones are like, "Oh, I had an aunt who was a anthropology professor, and she collected this stuff, and she's a hoarder, and." has a pile of garbage and just please take these. It's like, there are a lot of experiences like that. Interestingly, uh, this ties together with something I had wanted to mention before. I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, you guys know James Watson, who is um, the scientist who discovered DNA. Of and Crick. Yes. The douchebag who discovered DNA. Big big douchebag, yes. (laughs) Um, So Watson has just sold his Nobel Prize medal um, for $4.1 million at auction in New York. Um, and uh, does the person the, buying it know that you don't become that good at science when you? I don't get think it? so. Like you get it and then you become superpowered. Yeah. Right. They also sold. They also sold his uh, Nobel acceptance speech notes for three hundred sixty-five thousand dollars, and the manuscript for a lecture he gave the day afterwards um, went for two hundred forty-five thousand dollars. So he was selling all this stuff, and you know, so you're kind of like, oh, look at that. And then, as you point out, he is a big douchebag. Um, and uh, he says that he had faced financial problems since making controversial remarks on race and intelligence to the Sunday Times in 2007, which is always, of course, the fallback position of the conservatives and racists who play the victim card more than any person they ever claim plays the victim card. Like, they do it all the time. So what they mentions here sort of
sort of without comment, is that he was watching this happen in the back of the room and then returned to his, you know, whatever it was, Upper West Side multi-million dollar, wherever it is he lives, you know, multi-million dollar apartment that he lives in. And I'm always, it always cracks me up when the people who are sort of crying poverty are always like, yes, I've had financial difficulties and was forced to sell my medal. I've had to drop down to one butler and five cars. It's been a very difficult time for my family. You know, and I was just kind of like, wow. And I, I knew that as I was sort of reading about it, I knew that he was a jerk. I didn't realize that he was quite as much of a jerk as he actually is. Um, so I don't know. It, it just reminded me when you were talking about like people, well, here, have my Nobel Prize then. Like now you get to have the Nobel Prize on your shelf and you could be like, that's a Nobel yeah, they Prize. They go and for like two to three million dollars a pop, I've heard. That's what they estimated. And this ended up going for four because I guess they want more from racist douchebags that cost more. I don't know. But yes. That happens. I don't have anything to add to that. I <laughs> like the, the ultimate keepsake for like a Klansman is like, here's a scientist who genetically proved the inferiority of the other race. Like, You see, it's got lots of science behind it. It's not just, yeah. Yeah, those people I wouldn't imagine would generally have four point whatever million dollars to be able to spend on. But what, you know, what possesses you, though? I understand the wanting to buy a painting for that reason because you can look at it and say it's beautiful art or whatever. I'm curious what, I mean... Just buying something that then just sits on your shelf and you're like, there's a coin that does has no value. It has no intrinsic worth. It was given to somebody else. Like, as you pointed out, it doesn't make me a great scientist. And it was bought by telephone also. It was a telephone auctioneer, which I wasn't aware you could telephone into these things. But I, guess... <laughs> I thought you meant like some entity that was a telephone bought. <laughs> yes. It was Sky, bought Skynet by bought the telephone. It. Skynet <laughs> bought it Suddenly we're in a Doctor research. Who episode. <laughs> yep, exactly. Scott, the, the 12th Doctor bought it because right. the mankind is under threat from that. No, but like, you know, I don't, I don't know if I understand the mindset. I mean, I can understand you looking even at the shamanic masks because... Um, they they have artistic value and they look super creepy and so you're into that. No, just kidding. But like, I can see you doing that. But like, really, just buy a medal that isn't. It's like buying a Super Bowl ring that isn't the ring you want. And you're like, now I have a Super Didn't, Bowl ring. Wasn't there some I story about Vladimir Putin and how he just stole the Super Bowl ring off of some guy who was just meeting him? Like what? Putin, yeah, there's a story where Putin was just like, hey, can I see your ring? And the guy's like, yeah, he just of stole it. And then he's like, thanks, and he just walks away. No, and what? He that's has not true. Some guy's Super Bowl ring now. Because what are you like gonna Putin. do? Are you gonna start an international incident to get your Super Bowl ring back from Vladimir Putin? Like, definitely he sounds he like wants. Putin. So, Greg, surely we must be able to find and locate for you an artifact that has no intrinsic value to you, but references a great accomplishment of someone that you respect and love. Like a Shakespeare play, really? Like you wouldn't just be like, well, this but is I could Shakespeare's read that. play. But like, I didn't write it. So like, well, you know, no, no, no. But I could, but I could read, but I could actually read that play and I could. Yeah, I but could, you like, can buy a Dover thrift edition for a buck ninety five. Like it's not the most efficient way to do that. Right. Like, well, well, no, no. Right. I mean, obviously I'm not buying. <laughs> I will spend six point <laughs> five million to read this play. Um, No, like obviously that's true. But I think, well, hmm. I mean, you know what, what I, I mean? Like, say, it's just about well, uh, he, taste, like what you here, have. Here's to what like. it is. Here's here's the difference, though. OK, like in the case of in the case of the Nobel Prize that was given to him in 1962, I believe it was. OK, so there's something to be said. Like, for example, when I went to Greece, this is back in 2000, I think 99, 2000, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, I ended up sitting on I went to the theater of Dionysus, which is on the side of the, the Acropolis near the Parthenon. And mm -hmm. I'm looking down at the stage 
And the sort of the, there's a two sided you know issue with Greece, which is that um, they they take absolutely horrific care of all of their priceless artifacts, which means that you get to be right up close and personal without security guards leering at you, and you get to like be right next to them without being over glass or everything else. But it also means that they're going to be gone in like a hundred years because they're falling apart because no one ever takes care of them. So, but I was sitting on the seats of the theater of Dionysus, looking down at the stage, and I teach Oedipus regularly, right? A perf- a play which was first performed on that stage. And I'm telling you right now, there are, you feel ghosts of some kind, okay? Like real, whatever, like you feel Mm -hmm. the resonance, the energy of the place, right? Um, And that's because of sort of the significance of what happened at that moment and the sort of age of it, right? So it's like, or, or going to, or another example, going to Germany and going to where the Berlin Wall stood. And by the time I got there in the 90s, actually 2000, the Berlin Wall, of course, was gone. Mm-hmm. And so now you're just standing in the spot where people were shot and died, you know, trying to get from East Germany to West Germany or whatever. And, and so those things have like historical resonance. But a coin, which is, or like a medal, which is awarded in 1962, doesn't seem to have that same intrinsic value. If I'm, if I'm just reading wait a hundred years. By, well, right. If you told me this in 2062, maybe it would change. But like if I'm reading a play by Shakespeare and I'm like, this is the play that like Shakespeare wrote on these manuscript pages, like his hand touched this page. That seems to be to me more significant than this racist douchebag was given this coin. I mean, I think we've just identified that you don't like Watson, right? Like, but it has nothing well, to do with the innate nature of the purchase of old artifacts. But it's also a coin versus like a play or or something that has. I mean, some many people would say that in the exact opposite terms with just as much derision, right? Well, it's just paper. It's not a coin. It doesn't have any innate value. It's only what's on it. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe what if it were like some noble poet laureate metal for someone that you see the metal it's the metal thing that i'm like eh, okay what if it were a brochure for a talk about a noble <laughs> <laughs> brochure no 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 but what if it were original man what about this what if it were like one of emily dickinson's original poems i mean that she actually wrote on and the then same, you could burn it like she always wanted that'd be great whatever <laughs> we don't need to honor the dead what yeah. no i'm just kidding um you but know, you know, like that would be a little bit different because that I would be like, the, the, like the creative process was encapsulated on this. Like that's the other thing. If if like let's say that I was really interested in science and they were selling the original microscope through which Watson discovered, I could see the sort of value of something like that. That's but, like, probably metal, like in the trash or available. Yeah, I know, right? I just threw it out. <laughs> but the metal is made by a third party to give to him. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not even, it's not even that he produced it. It was just awarded to him. Right. Like the, I could even maybe see the football that was used in the great catch of the Super Bowl of 1985 as a touchdown. Like but that the was the ball that created the catch. But the trophy. Yeah, because the trophy was given by somebody else to them. You know what I mean? It's not. I don't mm. know. It seems like a third party sort of thing as well. So like if somebody gave Shakespeare an award in the 1800s, you know, like posthumously, I don't think I'd be like, yeah, that's an award given to Shakespeare. I'd be like, eh, all right. But if I get like a manuscript written by J.R.R. Tolkien of The Hobbit, well, hell yeah, that's amazing. But if it's like, here's like a prize that his local pub gave him in 1950, you know, in Note to all writing and professorial <laughs> communities. Gregory Wilson does not want your awards. I want them. Not I will treasure them. Give him medals, <laughs> honors, trophies, accolades. Don't you still have your old debate trophies, though, Greg? Come on, this is—I have them right behind me. But yeah. you—but you're—you're you're mistaking the point. Those were given to me. I'm saying, why would I go buy like awards that were given to someone else? That's my point. 
I just those think a big Greg rep- Wilson fan would love to have one of those trophies. Well, I mean, listen, uh, if you'd like, you just sell and send about <laughs> yeah. 500,000 MEPCOIN my exactly. way, and I'll, you know, yeah. I'll take a picture and send Now we're you. talking. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just in case we haven't thought of it, all bets from now on will be settled with MEPCOIN. In case oh, that yes. Clear. I will bet you 500,000 MEPCOIN. <laughs> all right. But probably just less than that. Lightweight. How about 750,000? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. We come back to Mop, Mip Russ. We're like, Russ, can we make more MEPCOIN? No, I told you. There's no oh, more. Oh, luck. well. We kind of gave it all away. So <laughs> kind of gambled my winnings away. I was really sure they were going to win, but I thought it was a chance to do it. Yeah, we actually uh, just before we came on, we were um, we actually took a look at our newly established cryptocurrency, uh, <laughs> thanks to the the auspices of Russ. And so um, Russ decided that we needed a further test to make sure it was working. And so Russ sent both Story and myself um, two hundred fifty penises each. I guess it's peni, um, because that is the that is one cryptocurrency. Currency is called penis. So I promptly to double test it sent all of my two hundred fifty peni to Story. So Story now is five hundred peni, but it did not take away the fact that at one point I possessed peni in my account. So if I ever <laughs> want to show someone, look at this totally serious, stable, solid <laughs> currency. Just ignore the penis that has zero balance at the moment. That will certainly work. So this is the South Park currency, as I said. That's that's what I've discovered, and now we know, you know, what it actually Somewhere is. Somewhere a middle schooler is laughing that you have zero penis in your... Exactly, and that's what this is for. This was actually a currency built for middle schoolers. That's exactly right. Hey, and let me put this out there in the first experiment of its kind. If, speaking of the last conversation, if you have some valuable item or heirloom or keepsake that you question whether its value monetarily equals its value to you personally... Send us a picture, and in return, you will get one map coin from me. Yay! There you go. Yeah. Woo! Hooray! And I'll Hit post it in too. a blog post. That's awesome. That's a good Hashtag call. Hashtag promotion. All right. If I if I agree that it is worth value in the same way, I will also contribute a map coin. You will you get map coin from my cold dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> I love how this is going to play out. It's like story me and builds a virtual fort in the bayou. Yep. And yep. Story will be the Mepcoin Baron, like buying them back from people in the community Did that we give them to. You've seen how I play Railways of America. Like this is the it's no true. debt strategy, man. Never a Mepcoin lender, but definitely a taker. B. Yeah, that's what I'm sticking with. Boom. No, I will. I'll. I'll have some offer at some point. I'm sure, but you know, want to see what the value one is. Mep- Test one Mepcoin each. I do. I want to see what that is too. I totally uh, want to see what that is. Wow. So, uh, should so we should talk we, about it? Should we talk yeah, about America on Fire? Even time? Should, should we go we should for talk, it? Well, we got about ten minutes, All right. so that's we enough can, we can to kind of wrap fix up. a country that's totally broken and burning to pieces. I yeah, think. this, this us, system. Actually, let's spot us two more minutes. Like, let's funny yeah. jokes, and in two minutes we'll get to it. Two, two, two jokes, and then we spend yeah. eight minutes on it. You mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, T- ten minutes to solve the country. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we don't need actual time. Is this our first rodeo? Like, wh- it's true. It's okay. a good point. We actually did. We actually spent uh, some time. I actually brought it up beforehand because, of course, what we're referring to is the recent. Now, I shouldn't say recent. Just the recently publicized um, 
of violence against black men in America specifically, and also police brutality that's related to it, uh, as indicated in the cases of Michael Brown and Ferguson and uh, Eric Garner in, um, uh, in Staten Island, um, and numerous other cases um, in Cleveland, in Utah. I don't think I had mentioned the fact that they just uh, declined not to indict cops that had shot a black man in Utah in the back six times, was running away from them because he had, in quotes, lunged at them with a sword lunged at them while shot in the back six times. So those two things happened. So this is obviously not new. It's not shocking. I don't think the fact that, you know, the idea that much of white America is like, wait, there are police who are brutal? I mean, like, yes. Um, But we felt, I I brought it up because I wasn't sure, I had a feeling we were all going to be on the same side about it, but it was just, this is is where I'm at, and I just want to hear what you guys think about it. Where I'm at is I teach a racially diverse classroom on a weekly basis, two, three times a week, I'm going in and teaching classes to a racially diverse community. In fact, one of the reasons that I um, left BU where I was teaching is that it, the classes I was teaching were like 95% white and upper middle class. And to me, I don't really need to teach rich white kids. Like rich white kids will get taught anyway, right, without me having to do it. And um, I wanted to teach a more racially diverse env- in a more racially diverse environment. How am I supposed to as the white father of a white daughter who will never face anywhere close to the level of discrimination, hatred, uh, you know, the crime of existing while being black. How am I supposed to tell my students in that room when I'm talking about a play that discusses the differences between justice and revenge? How, what am I supposed to say to them when this stuff is happening on a daily basis? And I, it was, it's incredibly saddening to me, far more than the stuff we talked about with politics or anything else is the fact that this is the supposedly bullshit post-racial society that we've entered. Um, and, and there are signs of hope, the fact that we're actually getting protests now, the fact that people are starting to say it, we should not have to comply or die. There are hopeful signs, but it's just, it's horrific. It's like a nightmare you just never wake up from. You just get hit in the face with a wave every day. And this is something which affects me tangentially, not even directly. You know, what do I say to those people who are dealing with it on a daily basis of not having to irritate the white cop who's going to blow them away if they look at them sideways? Um, so I, that's where I'm at, you know, with all this stuff this week and the past week. It's just unbelievable. So I don't know. I don't know where you guys are at, but that's where I'm at. Uh, I listened to a very interesting conversation on sports radio, which I listened to copious amounts of while I'm in New York just to absorb it. Um, and the reason that they were dealing with it was because of the group of St. Louis Rams who did the hands up, yep. no, don't shoot gesture before they their game last for that weekend. Now, by the way, um, and there were, I mean, again, this is like a sports fan, primarily white base. So I guess it's not so surprising that they had this opinion. But a lot of them thought it was really inappropriate. Of course they did. They were behind the St. Louis police who wrote a letter to the NFL about how these players should be punished. Um, and and Francesa, who is the number one sports radio talk personality in the world and certainly in New York, um, he took a very noncommittal position of which which was basically his own personal philosophy, which is that don't ever endorse or not endorse any political viewpoint if you're the NFL. Um, so if you're the NFL, don't punish them, don't not punish them, don't respect the letter from the police, don't disrespect the letter from the police, just be neutral. Uh, <laughs> don't I mean, actually hear them when they yell breathe, at you. Don't breathe, don't fail yeah, to yeah, breathe, exactly. don't move, they're going to see it. No, that's T-Rexes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't. <laughs> and I mean, 
granted, like NFL is going through a lot with the domestic abuse scandal as it is, and Roger Goodell it looks like an idiot in front of the whole country, and that's already happening. So far be it from them to then take the wrong stance on or this racially charged issue. But it just it was very emblematic to me the way Francesa approached it, which you could tell was his personal philosophy. He even said, I would never talk about a political issue on the show because I don't want to alienate half of my radio listeners. And ultimately, my bottom line is how many listeners I have and how many sponsorships I keep. And that dialogue, that wow. philosophy is the guiding philosophy of our entire country. Yep. At least – from the authority, from the surface. You know, nobody wants to get involved. Nobody wants to endorse anything. Nobody wants to take a stance to protect people who are vulnerable if ultimately you're going to rankle or ruffle the feathers of people who are in power with money. And whether that's police unions, whether it's the rich white populace that has no problem with the way they're policed in this country, like we can't publicly have a conversation about these people which I think is why some people feel that it's totally justified to sit down in front of traffic and block a major intersection and prevent people from going to work in a city that didn't even uh, experience this kind of violence because people need to be woken up and it's hard to get through. Especially because, I mean, and in those two cases, number one, the idea that, uh, that this is a political discussion when what we're talking about is literally a matter of life or death for members of the black community and minority communities. Literally. I mean, that's not hyperbole. It's literally life or death. You know, the fact that you have people talking about de Blasio, the mayor here, talked about having to teach his own son about how to comply with white police. Give me a break. I mean, we're talking about life and death here. So that's the first thing. The idea that it's a political thing is nonsense. That's a good way to sort of get out of any discussion. The second thing is, I find it hilarious that the NFL, which has these vast, and Story's going to be with me on this, has these enormous, like, military glorification ceremonies right. practically every week where they've got camouflage towels. Which are not political, towels. Greg. That's just uh, that's, the only there view There you go. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. How more political could you get? Like, it's one thing even to talk about, you know, the sort of the thing about, you know, support the troops. My argument is support the troops by not killing them. So, you know, bring them home. But whatever. Support the troops. Support the troops. It's another thing to go waving around this idea that they're heroes and waving around towels with camouflage, which, by the way, let me point out, I, having a number of, fr of friends and family members who have served in the military, have not had ever had a single one of them say, oh, yes, please tell me thank you for your service. Not one of them. Every single one has said, this was a job that I did, so I don't understand why I deserve hero worship for it. But, you know, let that go. But the idea that that's not a political statement, and it's, endorse it's institutionalized, right? You have to, everyone has to wear these towels, and everyone has to wear these things. But somehow, that's fine and permissible, but God forbid... Five black St. Louis players, whom some of whom might have, I don't know, but some of whom might have black kids that are going to have to deal with this, walk out with the hands up slogan and all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, it's like the Black Panthers in Mexico City, as if that was a problem, by the way. But anyway, you know, it's just, it, it amazes me what we accept as being, getting in the way of our entertainment and what is, you know, part of the normal fabric of the society. You know, one caller amazing. brought up the, the Black Panther protest on the sports radio station and Francesa... I used to write a case about that. Do you guys remember that? I used to run a debate mm -hmm. case about that one. Like yeah. whether you should do that. Yeah. Um, and Francesa's... Dis immediate dismissal of that point was, well, we live in a different world now. And Ugh. I would argue that, like, I mean, A, it's just because Francesa remembers being a halcyon youth in the 60s when it seemed like politics were somehow more important than they are now. And maybe that is 
the general sentiment is that people aren't as involved as they were in the late 60s, which I buy. But In the mean streets of Long Island where he grew up? I mean, let's yeah. be clear. But that's not to say that like it isn't way more important now for people to be making these statements in our sedated corporate, you know, pseudo political culture than it was back then. I think it's more. I mean, all Francesa is saying is I wasn't part of the establishment then and I am now. And the establishment is way better at holding on to power now than they used to be. So, you know, let everyone settle down and calm down and pay your advertisers. Like that's, that's all that's being said there. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to take a little different tack. I'm actually totally in favor of the... Co- no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Violence no, um, now. I, I actually had a long blog post about, you know, unpacking all of the reasons. And, you know, I mean, I... It's it's just something... It's just one of those things that, like, is not going to get fixed or get any better until there is a serious counterexample to what's been going on and what frustrates me the most i think the the part that's been hardest for me was just sort of like looking at my facebook feed as a pulse of how you know i I mean probably a majority of my facebook friends i think have what is sort of the obvious position on this that like this is you know there's basically a police state that's emerging in our country hooray um but you know the few dissenters people keep talking about and bringing up oh well you know the rule of law and and oh, well, you know, they're enforcing the law and it's the rule of law. And, well, from a legal perspective, you know, we know a lot of legal wonks. And it's like, from the legal perspective, there actually wasn't grounds for arraignment and indictment on Code C, Section B, like, that has to show whatever. And I think that that kind of perspective and attitude is almost more destructive than... Like just the willful bigots who are out there being like, I oh, like yeah. everyone with a gun because they have a gun insidious. and a badge. Yeah, because yeah. it's just like this is, and I think, and I think it also speaks to the concept of how we have gotten to this level of complacency because you have people because there's so much American exceptionalism, which I think is why this is not like actually causing a revolution overnight. Like the only antidote to the fact that <laughs> to like revolution in the streets is still most people believe in American exceptionalism, which itself is enforced by things like flag waving at the football games and all of the other things. But it takes a country that is so self-delusional uh, to be able to look at its own statutes and laws and failure to comply with any human rights standard and failure to sign on to human rights standards, unlike, you know, along with North Korea and Cuba is like the only holdouts to the, si- to the signing of the ICC or any other sort of human rights standard. And just to perpetrate this and say, well, this is in the name of freedom. You know, this is in the name of all that is good. Like, if there were anything wrong with it, it wouldn't be happening here. It wouldn't be in America. Right, right, right. We have a hold on freedom, and we maintain that by the rule of law. Never mind how many times we suspend that for our own citizens or that we, you know, have. I mean, you know, and it's part of the trend of death penalty for suspects. We do it, you know, on U.S. citizens and foreign yep. soil if we call them terrorists or enemy combatants. We do it on scary black men if we're scared of them in the U.S. cities and the streets. And, you know, there's just that's the mentality. And it's like, well, if anyone questions it, it's America. So because because it's what and for those people, it's always because it's what America is, not what America does. 
Whereas what we have always tried to say or should be trying to say is that what matters is what America does, right? Well, America show me what is you, what show it me does. What you, I mean, well, what that's what I'm saying. That's what, I, like, that's what I'm saying. No, 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 I'm right, agreeing. That's right. what I'm saying. But I'm saying like their definition is like America is some and then, you know, insert whatever platitude you want as sure. opposed to what America does. I, you know, so when America does good things, which I think it does occasionally do, I think that deserves credit for what it does because of what it does, not because it symbolizes and see this is because this is America's shining example. Yeah, you know, show me what you do and that defines who you are, right? Obviously. Right. But because there is this constant sort of default belief about what, you know, happens in America. And I think the other thing which may come down to it too, and I've talked about this before in another context, is that on an individual level, I've often said that I think that a lot of people are basically trying to do the right thing individually. You know, they're locally nice to people. They're they're nice to their families. They're nice to their friends. They're even nice to their neighbors sometimes. They're they're nice to members of the local community. And, you know, and this is not always the case, but often the case. But the problem is that there's no transfer sort of nationwide, right? So it's very difficult, or even statewide sometimes. So it's very difficult for them to sort of look beyond the bounds of their own houses and see that the state of what they deal with um, is not being expressed sort of nationwide. It has not spread from community to community. We do not have a nationwide commitment to justice, or this wouldn't be happening over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and, and so that's part of it, too. It's that myopia, that sort of focus on the local. Um, everyone says politics is local, but the problem is if it's too local, then it means that we kind of lose the bigger picture. And as a consequence, we sort of can, can come up with the sort of bridge and tunnel racists on sports radio, Russ, that, um, you know, that, that basically talk about the idea, well, you know, it's fine when I'm living, it's no problem here in Jersey. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm over in Bergen County, it's no problem. You know, and you're like, you have no idea <laughs> at all what America is like for, mo- for a great a person went people. to Bergen County once, I think. <laughs> once. Yeah. It's like and they never yeah. escaped. They never escaped. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I guess... well, they haven't been heard from, but like they were there. Yeah. I do think what's interesting, though, and this is the last thing, I, you know, we're coming close to the end of the hour, but I do want to mention the body camera thing has been interesting because some people said, well, the body camera thing with the Eric Garner case obviously didn't work because they had video and it was, you know, and obviously it didn't make a difference. And I don't know that I agree with that. I feel like actually the increasing outrage, like actually a lot of conservatives even have been pretty much hammering the, the jury decision in Staten Island um, because it's so blatant. I mean, it's it's so horrifically blatant. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I have a feeling that the body camera thing actually may have legs, that it, it could be something that people could ultimately get behind. And I'm sure Story's fine with that because he doesn't want privacy anyway. Sure. He wants body cameras on a regular basis. Like I even mean, when you're yeah, naked. that's... Just I'm body cameras all the time. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, right. But like, uh, but you know, so I mean, that that seems to be one hopeful sign out of this is that, you know... We are becoming the, the sort of downside, the or the upside, I should say, of a less private society is maybe it's less likely that we'll get these injustices that are sort of, you know, like we're shining the flashlight and the cockroaches are starting to scuttle out. You know what I mean? And they were always there, but we didn't actually see them before or weren't aware of them before. What, what I don't know. worries me is, despite the fact that there's a dialogue about this right now because of the confluence of these few events um, that have reached the public eye, that you know, much like Trayvon Martin passed. And much like other similar episodes of past, I feel like we live in this short attention span pop culture and that the powers that be count on that. And they know that eventually people will stop blockading major intersections in cities and eventually they'll stop protesting and eventually they'll round up 
enough protesters and give them criminal records such that they can't be a nuisance and can't influence people anymore and they'll just let things go and people will forget and things will quiet down and we'll go back to business as usual and i don't really have an argument as to why that won't happen (laughs) (laughs) i i you know though i'm not sure that i i don't know whether that's I get the sense this may be a little bit different, and the reason is, number one, because the short attention span thing does not sort of account for the enormous proliferation of um, of video stimuli, <laughs> by which I mean there are so many of these cases now that people are actively looking for that it is continually being reinforced in the American consciousness that there is an enormous problem with police brutality in this country and an enormous problem with race in this country, and those two things are linked as well. That is being over and over and over and over and over again reified, and it's reified partly sort of just as an accident by corporate structures that want you to be taking videos with your cell phones and want you to be asking for 1080, 12,040p plus, you know, they want you to be getting the HD cameras and all this stuff. And so as a consequence, you're being encouraged to take videos. And if you look, a lot of these places now, the cell phones are being whipped out and used. And the idea that police stations or police departments are going to be able to confiscate all these it's just nonsense. They're not going to be able to do that. They can't get all of them. Um, and so I do think that is hopeful in that it's sort of the, the same thing that makes us so obsessed with kind of corporate acquisitions and things like that is the same thing that may allow us to have this technology at our ready disposal so that it's being used on a regular basis. So I don't know. It's not like one big event and then we, we're going to forget about it because it's not going to be reported on by the mainstream media. The mainstream media's sort of focus on news has dropped way, way off in this country and people are now turning to alternative sources and things like that. So I don't know. I mean, I'm... I'm not sure. Obviously, the jury's still out, but I, I, I think that there may we may have reached a little bit of a tipping point there because the technology's there too. But if nothing ever happens to these people, if the fact is that we have an armed police state, and every one of those people knows that they have total impunity, like they will not be in any way punished, they will face no consequence whatsoever for whatever their actions are, no matter how much force was used or how problematic it was, then. You know, I don't know how much public outrage, even if it's sustained, is going to is going to make any difference. Like there's only there's only one way. And that is the same way that the KKK was broken in the South. And it is with federal intervention. The KKK was considered to be an impossible force to stop in the South because the local authorities were all on board with them. And what broke them was that was the was federal involvement. And um, and the Department of Justice is engaged in about five or six separate investigations, including the Garner one. Um, And notably, the as opposed to the Ferguson thing, where people like Claire Miscaskill and everything went away and, and, you know, curled up in a fetal position and didn't say anything about this person who had been shot, one of her own constituents. Um, In this case, Gillibrand and Schumer and all the House reps were out, except with the exception of Peter King, because please. But I mean, pretty much all of the, you know, most of the House reps and both senators were within a couple of hours posting things about they had already made formal requests for the Department of Justice to follow up and said this is an outrage and it must be followed up with. So they were obviously getting it from their constituents and elsewhere. Um, And that's the key. If the federal government gets involved, that's where this changes. And that's, that's, I think, the hope, is that the federal government starts making the call that will at least, that, that part of it, that will allow the local um, officials to get broken. And it only works if public pressure continues, right? right? It only works if the public pressure is maintained. But I wonder if it isn't going to be. You know, I, I, I wonder if there, again, if there isn't a tipping point on this. At least with the younger generation, too, you know, which, which is, I wish they had been this active around the election time. But, you know, I'm, 
I don't know. We'll see. We don't know yet. But. All right. Send me a picture of you protesting <laughs> against yeah. police brutality. That'll it's get worth five, five cool MEPCoin. <laughs> and I will send you some MEPCoin. Yeah, that ultimately, like, the only way to squeeze MEPCoins out of story is going to be to take political action Basically. in the world. Yeah, that makes sense. If you lie down in front of a tank, <laughs> story will give you 5,000 MEPCoin. <laughs> On the spot. <laughs> He'll just come yeah, up to No, you. a Tiananmen <laughs> moment is worth a lot of... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's like, that's like a third of my bankroll. <laughs> you're going to be on this show. We're going to be interviewing you if you're like... Well, you're like on national media or something. Oh, yeah, Please I think that's totally, us... that's how we set up the, the economy, too, is that if you uh, accumulate enough MEPCoin, then you can purchase a guest spot on the Oh, MEP absolutely. Report. Yeah, yeah of To say whatever you want, unlike yeah, right. what we do every... <laughs> no, absolutely. I suppose our focused methods of, of discussion. And speaking of those methods of discussion, they have come to an end. We are past an hour. Um, we hope you have enjoyed both funny and serious mature today. And if you like this, please give us a like over at our Facebook page. Please get in contact with us at Greg at MepReport.com. And uh, please tell us if you've ever had needles stuck in you willingly or if you've ever bought uh, shady old coins from shady vans and then got pissed off about it when you realized they didn't have a warranty. Because um, that would be something we'd like to know. Say goodbye, everybody. Yeah. Well, the last time Bye. I saw old man, he knew. <laughs> Bye now. Da, da, da. Bye-bye. He was chasing a female he knew. Da, 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 da. As he shot past, I heard him say, <laughs> She can't fly, but I'm telling you, she could run the pits of a kangaroo. She can't fly, but I'm telling you, she could run the pits of a kangaroo. Well, there is a moral to this ditty, um, ba da 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 Frost can sing, but he ain't pretty, um, ba da 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 Duck can swim, but he can't sing, nor can the eagle on the wing. He knew can't fly, but I'm telling you, he can round the pits of a kangaroo. Well, the cook a bar laughed and he said, it's true, um, ba da 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 ah!